there. I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about recruitment in tech, then this is the episode for you because my next guest manages active candidate pipelines as a staffing channel specialist in support of Google's global business operations. I know it is a mouthful and we are going to be teasing all of this out and explaining it to you. It is actually not so complicated. But before I introduce you to Jennifer Garibay, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice, insights, and inspiration that you won't find anywhere else. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jennifer Garibay, staffing channel specialist working for Google. It's a job she's held since September 2019. And Jennifer is also a career coach and a resume review specialist. That's a side hustle that she formalized in November of 2020, because let's face it, folks, Jennifer gets to see a ton of resumes in her job. And as she says on her website, to compete in this virtual climate, you need an impeccable resume and a standout LinkedIn profile. We are going to be digging into that. Do not worry. Prior to this role, Jennifer was the operations and project manager at High Profile Promotions, where she managed and coordinated a revolving staff of over 30 individual contractors, and she handled all hiring needs. Before joining High Profile Promotions, where she worked for six years, Jennifer was a property manager at Premier Rudoso Cabins, where she worked full-time while she also attended college full-time. Jennifer, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Always, always caffeinated and ready to go. Let's do it. Okay. I am so excited. By the way, if you want to learn how to break into the recruiting space, especially in tech, check out show notes for this episode to see if Jennifer's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. So happy new year to you, Jennifer. It is actually the 9th of January, but I kind of feel like it's okay to say Happy New Year for the whole month of January. I don't know what, how you feel about that. I totally agree. It's the whole month is a, is a new leaf. And if you, you know, fib on your resolution, it's okay to start again. You know, you, you have all month. Have you fibbed? <laughs> I, you know what? I actually have already fibbed. It, it has already happened. You know, I, I try to make small goals in which are actually attainable. So I will say that I have not fibbed on all of my goals, but one of them, which was to walk my dogs, has not happened the past couple of nights. I have been just overwhelmed with work and there's no excuse for it. So it's happening today. It's happening today. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. And honestly, we're all human. I have also fallen down on the job. I, my, one of my resolutions was to journal 
every day and to meditate every morning before I journal. And there have been several mornings this week when I haven't done it. So it's all good, folks. We are human and we just have to keep moving forward and not let these little hiccups kind of throw us off course. Yeah. Keep trying. That's all that matters. Absolutely. So before we get into what you are doing in your side hustle as a career coach, Jennifer, and in your resume and LinkedIn magic that you do, I was thinking we could kick things off by getting into what you do in your main hustle as a staffing channel specialist at Google. First of all, what does it mean to be a staffing channel specialist? And is that just a fancy way of saying a recruiter? So a staffing channel specialist, it's a really unique title. So you can be active or passive when it comes to being a staffing channel specialist. So, you know, there are sourcers. If you've heard of sourcers before, those are the people who go scouring LinkedIn for passive talent. They're the sort of mini headhunters who are looking at your LinkedIn profile. They're the reason why you want to have it optimized for hiring managers, recruiters, sourcers. They're the ones hunting you, hunting you down in a good way. I made it sound bad when I say it that way, but it's it's good. They, they want to offer you a job. Whereas in my regard, I'm on the active side as a staffing channel specialist. And I work with talent as it comes into Google. So as you apply for a role, if you are already looking at a role with Google, then you will be filtered into a team like mine or my team specifically. And we will you know, decide if you're qualified to move forward in the process. And we work with the recruiters from there. So sort of a recruiting partner, if you will. We, we help do a lot of the recruiting processes and, and partner with them directly. Okay. And your CV also says that you are in this role through the company ADECO. What does that mean? That is correct. So technically, as a contractor, I work for ADECO. So that's like who I receive my benefits through. And you know that's who I have to do sick time with and everything like that. But generally in, in my day to day, it's all, you know, my boss works at Google, my is a full time Google employee, as well as my boss's boss and many members on my team. So I work on a blended team of, I'd say, two thirds contractors to one third full time employees. Your CV also notes that you have exceeded hiring goals with an average of over 50 candidate on-site interview months. I think that's the way you framed it. And 30 candidate offers accepted. So how does that work? Is there a minimum that you need to bring into the funnel, so to speak, for recruiters to then start interviewing and moving them up the chain? Clearly, there's a benefit to be exceeding your quota. Right, right. I mean, you know, you want to show that you're good at your job. You know, that's always great to have those metrics that you're being compliant, you're finding great candidates, you're moving forward in that process. But I would also say that, you know, the great thing about larger companies and companies that really care, I'd say as well, is that they, they temper those expectations with what is actually attainable. You may find at smaller recruitment firms that they have an expectation of you to land 10 candidates within two months. And and that's pretty much like the end all be all in that sort of situation where a larger corporation realizes that with all the, the red tape and all the other pieces that can come into play, that that's not always possible for one person to do, especially considering that the roles you support are supported by both active and passive channels. There are times where my candidate who is, has applied through the careers page may be the one that the you know recruiter ultimately goes forward with. Or there may be times when that candidate you know wasn't qualified and it was the candidate who was sourced, who was found 
you know, via LinkedIn because they were able to get a little bit more nuanced with that search and, and really find someone who hit and checked all of the boxes who perhaps did not apply via the active channel. So there really is no way to tell where the hires are going to come from. So there are goals and metrics to obtain and to try to shoot for. But I think they do a great job at also balancing those with what is actually realistic and attainable. What is the time frame usually, Jennifer, between when a job is posted at Google and when the offer goes out? And I'm guessing that it depends on the department. 100%. It can definitely depend on, on the department as well as how urgent the hiring need is. You know, if they're, you need support for a new manager for, you know, a branch or a new arm that's completely being built out. You know, there's new aspects of tech companies all the time. You know, we get new products like Nest or Google Fi or all these other things. And, you know, they have to be built out somehow. They have to find staff somewhere. So, you know, gradually over time, those teams are going to, to grow. And, and that is a vital, a vital part of that process. Okay. So for an urgent hiring, what is the usual time frame? You know, I would say that can vary as well. Urgent hiring can be anywhere from a month, I'd say to two months, but you can have slower roles that can stay up for six months. You know, there have been times where you can't find that niche candidate in, in a day, in a month, in a, in, you know, any sort of given time frame because they're so niche. And that's really where sorcerers come into play. So, so yeah, you were right. You hit the nail on the head in saying that it varies completely from from team to team. But I'd say that those urgent ones are going to be the, the ones that get the get seen the most quickly. Obviously, as as those teams are being built out the most quickly in those new areas. So, thank you for that. What does it take, in your opinion, Jennifer, to be a top notch recruiter and or staffing channel specialist, what qualities do you think are most important? So I would say that you definitely have to care. You have to have empathy. You have to really advocate for that candidate experience. You know, we oftentimes have candidates that we can't use for the particular role that we are looking at them for. And we really will try our best to find another home for them if possible. You know, perhaps they have operations experience and they're right, not right for my role, but I know of someone else who could potentially, you know, want to move forward with them. So we really try to do that where, where at all possible. But at the, at the same time, these are rather large teams and then lots of jobs available. So there's many times where I may not know of something that could be a good fit simply because there's so, so many jobs. So. We try our best to to take care of of that and and the candidates in that way, but sometimes things do fall through the crack in that sense. I would say additionally, you really want to have the logistics side, operations side and really know how to handle projects, deal with project management and see things through process because there's going to be many balls to juggle at any sort of time. You know, you're going to have so be supporting maybe 40 roles and have many meetings in a day on top of personal things within work. And, and by personal, I mean, you have the ability to work on projects and, and ways to improve your team and things like that. So all within a given week, it, it can be overwhelming in that sense. So you really need to know what to focus on when so that you can just do your job well and efficiently. Terrific. So what are all of your job responsibilities? And take us into a typical day on the job. I know now you're working remotely, but before COVID hit, you had about 
I think, six months or so where you were actually working in the Google offices in Austin. Correct. Correct. So I would say typical day and I'll include some of the mundane stuff just because it is it is kind of interesting, even though it's mundane at Google, it's a little bit more interesting. But, you know, we are very privileged and blessed, even with the Austin traffic to have a shuttle. So I would start my day off, you know, driving to the bus stop, which is only about two minutes away from my house. I was just very fortunate to live close to one of the Google bus stops. Not everyone is that fortunate. Some people have to drive maybe 20 minutes to get to it. But I only live two minutes away. So lovely drive there, you park your car, and then you get on the shuttle, it has Wi Fi, and you can start your workday right there. So that's something that's so great is that they don't deny you the ability to take advantage of that traffic time, you know, so you're not wasting that 45 minutes in traffic, you're clocking hours while you are in those 45 minutes in traffic. So absolutely fantastic. In that sense, they, they keep things running, keep things efficient. And then you get into the office, you can go to the cafeteria, breakfast is waiting for you whatever breakfast you want, bagels, hot breakfast, you know, cereal. So do miss being a little pampered in that sense. And it allows you just to stay focused, get right to work. Usually a morning full of meetings of collaborating on projects, working with your manager, maybe some mentorship going on there, usually weekly meetings with your manager to assess your goals. And then just working on candidates, usually most of the afternoon, screening resumes and working with them potentially on a more one-on-one basis. And just heading home on the shuttle, getting a little bit more work in if you'd like to for the day. But I'd say overall, it's a balance of about 50% of that resume time and that, that real candidate review balanced with about 50% of relationship building, side projects and opportunities for growth. Awesome. So when you say resume review... What does that actually look like? I mentioned, I think it was in this episode, that you have reviewed over 40,000 resumes. That is a heck of a lot. And I know that that includes your time prior to coming to ADECO. But what does it look like? Are you sitting there with the paper printout in your hands? Are you looking at them on the computer screen? What's that process like? So that process is viewing PDFs on the computer. And so that is one reason why I always push for people to usually submit in PDF format because that is the way that that we look at them. Everything's converted into the PDF in the end. But if you had it in a Word file originally, sometimes it can get compressed or get wonky. But yeah, it's, it's mostly e-reading, I would say, as, as we read these resumes uh, online. And what are you looking for? Within my role at Google, we're looking at the minimum qualifications for the role really looking to assess, do you have what we're looking for or what the hiring manager is looking for rather as they described it to the recruiter and the recruiting team and really getting into those nuances, but staying true to the minimum qualifications. It, it's, a, it's a hard line to walk, you know, because it's, it's minimum qualifications, but it's also knowing what the hiring manager wants. And sometimes those two ideas don't meet. And then sometimes you need to go back to the drawing board to reassess what those minimum qualifications are to, to really get what the hiring manager wants in a candidate. So I can say, just speaking from my experience in three other industries, that often you had a situation where the job description was written by committee and the wording in the job description was lingo that was insider lingo to that industry and sometimes to that company. How does it work at Google? 
I would say that they're very good about not doing things like that. We have, you know, software and things that specifically looks for that. And that is something that the team who posts jobs, in fact, flags if there's any sort of issue. And, and that's a great, that's a great point that you bring up and something that used to happen a lot. So they actually have a team that sort of safeguards that and they're in, char- in charge of all of the posting all of the posting up and down of the jobs. So being those sorts of gatekeepers, they don't let anything go live if it has that sort of jargon as they're always scanning and checking for that. And I also know, again, in these other companies, of course, CNN, where I worked for 14 years, is a very large company. I think it's different for on-air talent or maybe some of the technical folks. But Oftentimes you would have the minimum experience necessary and that was very squishy. I think that that also becomes a hiccup for some college students who are looking for those entry-level jobs and get very thrown off by the, especially like minimum one to three years experience. And they're thinking like, but I've been in college and I've worked. Maybe they work part-time jobs. Maybe they bartended. Maybe they did some work within the real estate sector, whatever it is, but they don't see how skills are transferable. Right. And Transferable skills are all around you. I would not underestimate your experiences and what you can say you've done. Oftentimes when I talk to my clients, they don't fully understand what project management is. And so I like to go over what project management is. Because sure, there's definitely there's like technical project managers and and they make it sound all scary, you know, and, and this big fancy title. But project management is taking something from that initial thought kernel of I want to do something like I want to run a lemonade stand. You know, if you know how to plan how many lemons, how many cups, how many sugar, you're going to build the stand. Where am I going to set it up? When am I going to set it up? What are my business goals? How am I going to do this? How are we going to advertise? How are we going to execute? And then actually executing it. And then how much money did you make? It's it's the whole process. If you take it from that thought kernel all the way to the end of I ran a lemonade stand and made X amount of dollars or, you know, and achieved X results. That's project management at its finest. And there's there's so many different examples of how people have used that over the years in, in various senses. So learn how to take what you already have and dress it up. And that's a great place where a career coach or a mentor can come in and really help you to, to make the best of those transferable skills that you already have. I love that language to dress it up. Another way you could put it is to translate it. And you're not being dishonest. You really aren't. You're being actually much more forthcoming. You're just aligning your experience and putting it into a language that resonates with the employer. That's 100%. So prior to this job, Jennifer, you worked for six years at high profile promotions and your last two years there were spent as the operations and project manager. So there we've just been talking about project management. What does high profile promotions do and what did you do as the operations and project manager? So high profile promotions is a brand representative company. So they they work with brand ambassadors, brand representatives to, you know, give brands an edge and represent them in social settings, corporate settings and at events. 
So I ran a team of 30 to 40. And I say 30 to 40 because my market wasn't as big, but some of the other markets may have 200 you know, plus employees. Being a smaller region though in El Paso, I ran a revolving staff of 30 to 40 individual contractors. And we did major promotions for Crown Royals, Jack Daniels, Grey Goose, other, other major liquor companies of the sort, You know, representing, pushing their brand and helping to promote their products within liquor stores, grocery stores, and things like that. So I worked directly with getting those set up, hiring the staff, training the staff, placing them, you know, making sure they're doing everything they need to be, polishing their work, making sure the clients have all the information they need about their products, their sales, and and just sort of an all-inclusive sort of role. So in fact, I made up the name for that. And I have no problem telling people that for my resume is that, you know, there was no title. They didn't really give me a title. I was the manager of my region. And, and I, that was all I knew. So I was like, okay, project and operations manager, because that's what I do. I run all the projects and all the operations and all the hiring. If it didn't sound too wordy, I probably would have put, put hiring manager too, but it, that would have been too many titles. So operations and project manager it is, but just a fine example of how you can change your title to whatever, whatever suits you best, as long as you stay true to what you did. So even though this is an audio podcast that you're listening to, I can see Jennifer. I'm giving her a little heart, <laughs> a heart sign with my hands because what she just explained there is exactly what we were just talking about. So was she in the tech space? Was she a quote unquote recruiter or staffing channel specialist? Well, if you're going to like split hairs, no. But was she doing, were the job functions that she was doing similar to what she does as a staffing channel specialist? Hell yeah. Yes, most definitely. So this, folks, is what we are talking about, about the need to translate your honest-to-goodness real-life experiences into a language that resonates with the jobs that you want to apply for. This is what you need to do. So you started working at high profile promotions while you were still in college. I think you were going into your senior year. Is that about right? Junior, senior year. Yeah, right around there. Okay. And you were a brand representative. You were one of the people that you went on to manage. What does it mean to be a brand representative? What were you doing? Yeah, no, of course. So brand repping is super fun. You know, you're the boots on the ground, the people who get to do all the talking, all the contact with people, which feels so foreign right now in COVID. But essentially, you know, really that person who was waiting at the door with a smile, you know, hi, would you like to try this product? It's delicious. It's only $12. You can take it home and stick it in your freezer and bake with it and make shots with it. And, you know, that was always my sort of pitch. And that's honestly, What got me my job as manager was just the fact that I was very good at sales. I would do a lot of research beforehand and I would know everything there was to know about the product. You know, when someone would ask, where was it made? I would know where it was made. They they would ask, how can I make it in a drink? I would tell them 10 different ways. You know, do you like fruity drinks? Do you like strong drinks? Do you like, you know, know your audience, have something for everyone and, and there'll always be something to offer them. And you gave out shots too. So you must have been pretty popular. Very popular with the free shots. And and definitely people, a lot of people were honest about it. They're like, you know, I'm just here for the shot. I'm like, it's fine. Just take it. It's all right. So what skills do you think you were honing, Jennifer, while you were selling 
alcohol to customers? Definitely honing my customer service skills, my interaction with people, my charisma, I would say. You know, I've always been very comfortable with people, but being in sales, you have to learn a certain sort of charm with people and an ability to speak to them and and make them feel feel good about themselves, about your product. So definitely honing things in that regard. You know, my ability to collaborate and partner with people was definitely honed there as well. As well as that research was difficult sometimes, I would say, in the products that were a lot smaller. We did represent some products that didn't have a ton of information available on them. So it might be a little bit more difficult to find those recipes or information on the brand if the brand didn't provide it to me, which was honestly kind of the brand's bad, but they, they should have been doing that. But regardless, I always made sure I was prepared and, and doing my job effectively. So, so all of those, I'd say. So do you have any tips to offer our young listeners? Because you've been a bartender, you've been in sales about how to be a high performer. I would say push yourself is is something I always say. And, and it's funny because I also say to like rest and, you know, take balance when you need it. But, you know, it's about finding finding the balance between the two. But I would say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's something I like to say as well in because that's where you grow. You know, if you stay where you're always comfortable and where you always feel safe, you're never going to learn anything new and you're never going to push any sort of boundaries. So, you know, you just need to take those chances and and get comfortable with being uncomfortable and and putting yourself out there. So it may have been right after you graduated from high school. I think you were telling me, was it while you were between high school and college, you took a job as a sales associate at Premier Rudoso Cabins. And it's a good story about how you got the job and about leaning into and looking for opportunities. And within a year, maybe even been less, you were promoted to property manager. And it, that's also a little bit of a, you know, finessing the title. What made this such a good job for you, Jen? And how did you get it? So this was a great job for me because it really allowed me so much grace to learn, really partner with someone. You know, it's a great story of mentorship and being taken under someone's wing. So I was just very fortunate to have a friend whose mother owns a, you know, property management company. So for those of you who don't really know what that is to describe in terms that you would understand, essentially, basically, she owned like 15 Airbnbs and she would rent them out. And this is before Airbnb was super big. So she had to do most of the managing herself through her website. These sorts of processes weren't big and built out yet. And in that way, it was a ton of work, you know, managing the calendars for 15 different properties and the cleaning schedules and and all these different things. And when I was at my friend's house, I would just see her all the time just tearing her hair out. Even late into the night, you know, just up working on charges and clients and running everything for a business by herself, essentially. And speaking from personal experience, that's really difficult to do. And you need help and you need to outsource. So I, you know, sat there and I said, you know, do you need help? Can I help you? I would love to learn from you. You know, we negotiated pay, you know, what was fair. And of course, that changed over time as I grew into my role. But a great story of just sort of seeing an opportunity that maybe some she didn't really think to hire someone. And, and I saw that opportunity and said, you know what, I can help you. You can help me. Let's see if we can't collaborate in that way and, and make something happen. So it was great in that sense. And as I grew in my role, I became more of a quote unquote property manager in that sense and really took on more responsibility within the business. 
So again, just finessing that title because it's not like she really told me one day, like, you're a property manager now. It was just sort of eventually my scope of my role changed. And at that point, I just said, okay, it's going to better me on my resume to sort of just make this look like a promotion because I mean, I was paid more at that time and I had more responsibility. So reflect it how it serves you best. Just be honest again with what you actually did. And you needed that job. Because, oh, correct. right, your mom was helping pay for college, mm-hmm. but you also needed to pick up a lot of expenses. Oh, yes. So I, I took it upon myself to move away for college. My mother had told me, you know, if you want to stay in, in our hometown, I'll let you live at the house and I'll pay for everything. And I took her up on that for the first year, you know, like many kids do and, and not knocking it at all. But I've always been very independent. And I needed to do my own thing and I needed to have my own space. So I decided to move away. And in doing that, you know, she has always been an amazing mother, but she's always been very hard on me and not in a bad way, but in the sense of making me very responsible for myself. And she told me, if you're going to move away, there's a perfectly good house here where it's free. So if you're going to go stay somewhere else, you're going to pay for it yourself. And and I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I had to work full time while going to school full time in order to afford my, you know, my rent, my bills, my car, my insurance, my expenses, etc. But was very fortunate not to have to pay for college and was able to graduate debt free after, you know, my mom paying for school and me paying for everything else and and working, working my butt off. Amazing. Congratulations. I want to just make one final point before we move on to when you were in college. And that's a super quick question. But I would say and I don't think you would disagree with me, Jen, that On the surface, none of the jobs that you had from the time that you were in school to the time that you went to ADECO and working at Google would necessarily be considered what we would say is a super sexy job. Like, oh, my God, like you worked where? What most college students would claim as like a dream job or a dream internship But I have no doubt at all that you learned an incredible amount. Those hard and soft skills that you've brought with you into your current job at Google and as a young entrepreneur and a career coach. Yeah, no, you definitely bring a lot of those hard and soft skills into into play. I would say, uh, which do I use the most? Definitely my ability to collaborate with people is something that I've brought through with me, especially working on such a large team. You know, you need to have that ability to to speak, speak openly and honestly, especially because there can be a lot of bridge under the bridge under the water. I can't speak water under the bridge sometimes, you know, especially working with people, you know, from so many different backgrounds, spaces and places. So so yeah, hard skills and soft skills. Are, are very vital in that sense. I'm going to actually ask jump in here because yes, I think it's so close to you that you don't even see it. It's like such a part of your DNA and who you are that you don't recognize just how special you are. And that is the grit, the perseverance, the hard work, the hustle that you already have under your belt and had under your belt by the time you graduated from college. Because let's face it, many college students do not have to work. They don't have to hold down a full-time job 
Yeah. Or a part time job. They're thinking about, you know, okay, an an unpaid internship. That's fine. I can do that. And that was me, Jen. I I did have a part time job in school because I wanted some extra spend money, but I didn't have to have a full time job and I didn't have to get an internship where I was getting paid. I will say that it makes you look it makes you look around more. And and you're not the first person to say that. I think it's it's hard to to call yourself that, you know, a hustler. It, It feels weird to say that. You know, I feel like and what is it? I've been conditioned over time, you know, that that humility is the way. And so sometimes it feels weird to compliment yourself in that sense, even when you are a confident person, because I, I am very confident. But yeah, I think that, you know, having to learn to be self-sufficient in that way and really manage my time, especially during college. You know, there were times where I was up till, you know, two in the morning bartending. I would come home. And I had a test, it's, you know, 7am at a class. And so I would, you know, maybe sleep for a few hours, study and then wake up and, and go take finals, you know, and granted, it was not the best for my health. But you do what you need to do sometimes to make it work. There's working moms out there and, and other people who who have it worse than I did in college. And so you learn to to sort of scrape and, and do what you can to make it work. And I was just very fortunate that my mother instilled those values in me from a young age. You know, I was doing my own laundry by like age nine. You know, she had me doing like certain tasks around the house. I was expected to cook for my family once a week, once I was 10 years old. You know, she would let me choose a recipe from the recipe book and and we'd go grocery shopping together. And she just, you know, she was a single mom. And so I think it was really important for her to to teach me to just be very self-sufficient. And, and it, it paid off, I'd say. Thank you. So let's flash back very quickly to when you were in college. As you mentioned, you started out at UT, University of Texas at El Paso, and you started out getting a BS in pre-nursing studies. And then you transferred after a year to Texas Tech University. And that's where you got a BS in foods, nutrition, and wellness. Just quickly, Jen, did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Not at all. You know, for me, it was it was something just to sort of, you know, get graduate, get out of there. I'm sure a lot of college students have that similar sort of mindset. You didn't want to have to go back and take a whole another four years. So you just cobble together something with the current credits you have. And it was very much the story of that and feeling lost afterwards. I was I was just very lucky that I had bartending as a, a sort of fallback. And it was something that I always had and, and, and kept telling myself that. It was like, well, I always have bartending as a fallback. You know, it, it's pretty decent money. And I actually think it was something that held me back for a while because I was like, oh, I always have it as a fallback. And, and it didn't push me to innovate as much. And it wasn't until I really got sick of that space and really, you know, being in that sort of industry. And as we discussed earlier in the episode, all of the negative things that can come with that as well, that I really started to look around and say, you know, what other opportunities are out there. So let's talk about those other opportunities, your side hustle, your career coaching business. And as you tell prospective clients on your website, I'll help you get your resume, your network and mindset into pristine shape and ready for recruiters, interviewers and applicant tracking systems alike. And for those who may not be familiar with applicant tracking systems, also known as ATS, what is an ATS gen and how does it work? So an applicant tracking system is essentially just like a bot or a scanner. 
I mean, to be honest, I'm not even sure how they work. I just know essentially what they do. But, you know, they're looking for keywords within your resume and they're looking to make sure that you have the certain phrases or keywords or skill descriptions that they're looking for a resume or sometimes a combination of all three. You know, maybe it'll only ping the system if you have X keywords and then X skills. So you never know how they're going to set the system up. It just really depends on each individual role. So it's really beneficial to take a look at that and and make sure your resume is picking up on those keywords within the job description as well. Got it. As I mentioned, you have reviewed over 40,000 resumes. Oh my God. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen job applicants make with their CVs? So I will say I'll do one a little bit more in depth to do with data, but I'd say the more surface level mistake, and I think most people will think this is pretty funny, is people just not paying attention to what they upload. You know, I even on Friday had someone who submitted, it was a picture of their eye. It was the most bizarre thing. I I see the most bizarre things, guys. Picture of an eye. I've got a picture of a Ferrari gotten a picture of an owl in a sombrero. I've gotten someone's personal taxes before, birth certificate. So yeah, I most of the time I have a feeling, you know, just as we all do, you download your resume to your computer, right? You download the file and then you re-upload as you submit things. So just be extra careful that that file that you're uploading is actually the file that you think you're uploading. Because if it is not your resume, unfortunately, you're not going to get very far. So that would be mistake number one. And I'd say the second mistake is not using enough data and metrics to really provide that impact. And and this is something I was guilty of before I really came to Google as well. You know, a lot of people don't know that that is something, you know, that people want to see. And, and so really include hard figures to represent what you've done. Even as simple as like, you know, 50% increase in productivity, you know, 30% increase in customer satisfaction. And there's great ways to make your own data via surveys with your customers and clients and even students. You know, you can, you know, send out Google Forms to the club you manage, you know, the, you know, sort of any sort of thing like that that you're involved with. There's ways to collect data and feel free to get in touch with me for more ideas or information if you if you need something. Love it. Yeah, we should say you definitely want to follow Jennifer on LinkedIn. She's got some amazing videos that she puts out. She's always putting out fantastic content and just a lot of value there. So definitely follow her. You also help job seekers optimize their LinkedIn profile. What do we mean when we say optimize? So optimizing your profile is essentially preparing it for the eyes of the person who you want it to see. So for different people, that is, you know, a different person. But I'd say generally on LinkedIn, you are wanting to design it for the hiring manager or the recruiter. That is who the job seekers are typically designing it for. You want it to catch their eye. You want it to be clean. You want it to pull them in. And you want it to accurately describe what you do. And tell a story about you. You know, it is social media. What sets you apart from everybody else? Because if they have five resumes in front of them and you all have the same qualifications, they're going to go to your LinkedIn profiles. They're going to start looking to, okay, what is setting these candidates apart? And if you have a presence, if you have a story and, and that's all the more apparent, there's a good chance they may go with you as compared to other people who aren't taking advantage of their LinkedIn and who don't have a story and aren't sharing those sorts of things. Do you think that you would have thought 
of becoming a career coach and and helping clients with their CVs and their LinkedIn profiles. If you hadn't gone to Google, if you hadn't gone to Adeco, no, not at all. I don't think so at all. I, I you know, was really inspired in this journey by candidates, by everyone on LinkedIn in the amazing community. Because for me, you know, people truly are my passion in a more in a more general sense. You know, as long as I'm working with people and I feel like I'm making a difference, I am, you know, happy as a clam. And and so I really found that sort of niche in coaching and consulting. So it's been absolutely great. Two final time for coffee guests. Excuse me. Two final time for coffee questions. And these are questions that I try to ask all of my guests, Jennifer. And that is to share a time when you failed or just struggled. And the most important thing here is how you persevered and a lesson you may have learned in the process. And the reason that I ask this question is not to try to embarrass my guests, but rather to inspire our listeners who may think, gosh, you know, Jen never stumbled. She always had her ducks in a row and everything, you know, went smoothly for her. And the truth is we have all had our challenges and our setbacks. And part of what builds that grit and that resilience is the setbacks. Most definitely. I would say that my biggest, and you all can't see it, I'm air quoting right now, failure. Because truly, I believe, you know, rejection, failure, it really is redirection and setting you apart. But my, you know, my biggest failure over the years, I'd say is, would would be my not making it into nursing school in college when I had attempted to do that. You know, I originally had started, you know, at UTEP in my hometown of El Paso, Texas, had been a shoe-in for for the nursing program there, but did decide that I had wanted to, you know, leave town. I wanted to go spread my wings, go elsewhere and try a more difficult program as well at Texas Tech. So I decided to, of course, then started working full time, supporting myself, doing all these things to sort of take care of myself. And and during that time, I was unable to, you know, obtain the sort of volunteer hours and sort of clinical setting that they really were requiring of me. And so I didn't end up making it into nursing school. And and in the moment, it was it was a big deal to me. There was, you know, a lot of crying, a lot of a lot of, you know, maybe depression for a week, not a true depression, but a lot of sadness, you know, for a week, a lot of feeling like a failure, a lot of shame. And a lot of it came from me just feeling like, I had lost my purpose. You know, what am I going to do? What What is the next step? There could have possibly be anything else, which now looking back, I, I laugh now. I'm like, you were like 24 years old thinking your life is over. Like, how how naive are you? I mean, there's there's so much more out there. And there's so many more opportunities, which would lead me to my segue to say that, you know, you can do anything you want at any age. You know, there are people who go back to college at, at 55, 60, 70 to get a completely new degree. There, you know, you can you can go to college, go get a job, hate it for a month, and go straight back to college and get another degree. You can get an amazing internship and go straight into a job, or you can work at a mom and pop shop for ten years and then go to big tech. But my point is, is that everyone's experience is different. So honor yourself, honor your story, and and just know that things are going to work out in time, and and don't rush it. Especially all all you college kids out there, all you you new grads, don't don't rush it. Things will unfold in front of you. Just be patient. It's hard when you see everyone around you doing all these exciting things, but but your time will come. So just be patient. 
What a beautiful message. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Jennifer. Final question. If you could go back to Texas Tech University and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, Along those same lines, I would try to live a little more, I think. You know, I was so stressed about everything. So, you know, this is the end all be all for my future in these four years. And it's so understandable. You know, you come from high school, you you're barely an adult, you barely have any understanding of what life is. And so it really does feel like the end all be all in college. But I would say along along the lines of the, the question before that is just to know that, you know, there's so much more beyond that, you're going to grow up even more, you're going to change even more, your interests are going to change. And then that's all okay. So you know, enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride. And they always told me that during college. And of course, you know, I, I tried to do it as best you can. But they really are the golden years, the time to just enjoy being because there's there's so much to figure out and still figure out even as you get older. And so that that really will never change. And it's a it's a constant journey. Jennifer, where can our young listeners or older listeners find you if they want to hire you to optimize their CVs or optimize their LinkedIn profiles? Yes. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Jennifer Noel Garibay. Or you can reach out to me on my website, jngcareerconsulting.com. And that is Jennifer Noel Garibay, my initials, jngcareerconsulting.com. So feel free to reach out to me, guys. I, I offer lots of different packages and consultation, and we can definitely find something to help you develop and get your best foot out there. Awesome. Awesome. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. I have no doubt whatsoever that the best is yet to come. I think 2021 is going to be an incredible year for Jennifer Noel Garibay. And I wish you continued success and much happiness. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.